Hi homies, I'm Alan. You're listening to Three Homegirls No Gun, where we explain all points of views on gun violence prevention. Have a great time listening. Hello, my name is Julia Matamoros, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Hello, I'm Jamilek Soto, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Hi, my name is Ale, and my pronouns are they, them. Today, our special speakers are Carla Levine and Amir Whitaker from This Is Not A Gun. Amir Whitaker, who is also known as Dr. Knucklehead, is an author, musician, lawyer for the ACLU, and an activist. Carla Levine is an artist and an activist who worked on the book This Is Not A Gun. Thank you so much, Carla and Amir, for being on the show today. So happy to be here. Yeah, we're so excited. So we're going to start off with some um, questions. So we wanted to know um, what influenced you both to want to promote change. Amir, do you want to you want to take it away? No, Kara, please go first. And it's great to be with you all and great work. I love the work you all do. Thank you. The question is what influenced me to want to create change? Yes. Man, so many things uh, that are terrible in the world. (laughs) I think that personally, like I've been most motivated to be an activist by seeing my my community directly impacted by human rights violations, trauma and pain, and then by recognizing how ubiquitous and systemic all of these issues are. I also feel really lucky because I grew up in a family of people who are activists. So it's been in my DNA for a long time. Um, I come from a religious background that's been persecuted and uh, and my family like really has honed in on me this idea that we have to care for our community we have to care for our neighbors we have to care for ourselves and take care of each other and when my community has been in pain then I've been in pain and it's sort of driven me to action and and to, to draw in on the strength of the community and so that's I think that's the most influence for me. That's amazing. I love how you incorporated like the impact that it has on your community because that's where it all starts. You reach out to your community and then it just grows bigger from there. So considering our new situation, I know it's been hard and COVID has been making a lot of barriers for us. And we've been taking a lot of risk and activism from marches, protests. So I know that social media has kind of become like the biggest platform to kind of um, advertise activism, you could say. Mm -hmm. So how has social media influenced your activism for you guys? Well, I can start with this one. I think in both good and bad ways, you know, I think social media or this this digital era that we're in, we definitely have clicktivism. We're in tweetivism <laughs> and hashtagivism, where people think it's as simple, you know, by hashtagging Black Lives Matter that you are in solidarity or changing your Instagram profile to say Black Lives Matter is enough. So, you know, as someone who was involved before the digital era, you know, we we've capitalized on social media through petitions, through hashtags, and different things to connect people and. You know, especially in this COVID era where we kind of have to do digital organizing, right? We can't be in person so much. So, for example, with the ACLU, we have our Youth Liberty Squad that we, a group of students we organize, 
and we used to meet in person um, and it was limited to 20, 25 youth. And now that we do it digitally, it's expanded. It's almost twice as many and it allows students all over the state to participate. But students are missing that opportunity to be in person and, and do things. So I think it's both good and bad. You know, there's both opportunities and barriers because some people just want to click and some people just want to hashtag and they won't really do anything beyond that. Um, but there are many more we can engage. Yeah, I think that that's exactly spot on. I think there's so much work that has been happening for generations before any digital media even was a thing. And now there's so much work that happens behind the scenes beyond, yeah, just having a hashtag or changing a profile picture, conversations, advocacy, uh, lobbying, being on different boards, you know, as a white woman being like very proactive in anti-racism conversations and community and trainings, there's, so many different layers of action that need to take place to support the the, the frame and the picture, <laughs> I think. Um, and, I, and I think that, but I agree with Amir that it's mixed because the, uh, the flip side is like, there is way more awareness and, and that, and, and petitions and money being directed in the right direction. And so we gotta like use this strength for good. Yeah, I can definitely see the aspect of performative activism, especially within celebrities who are like, okay, well, I'm gonna post this picture and this hashtag, and then I won't be canceled. Like everything's gonna be fine, and it's gonna be great from there. And it's like, um, no. <laughs> My opinion is if there is a kind of social media base, then there needs to be more done than just a simple hashtag or a picture. And but on the flip side, there there is like petitions are being put out more and for me social media was the way i found out about all this activism because i saw the injustices in my community and i was like wait what are some ways we can change this and through social media i found a bunch of programs and all these petitions i could like put my voice in which i think was really cool leading up to that we wanted to ask what inspired you to create this is not a gun so this is not a gun started in my studio i'm a sculptor and it started in 2016, like in December of 2016, right after Trump was elected. And I had been, uh, I had just recently moved to, to Portland, Oregon, but I had lived in Oakland, California for a long time. And um, the Black Lives Matter movement was really strong. Uh, Mike Brown and Alton Sterling and Sandra Bland and their horrible, horrible deaths, murders that had taken place. And my community was really, um, up and um, in action, closing freeways, major activism happening, um, marches, and it was a really powerful time to be there. And when I was in Portland, Trump was elected, trying to be quick about this, but basically I um, encountered a list that um, Harper's Magazine put out. Um, it was a list of 23 objects. I have it on my wall. It says trigger warning from a list of objects that were mistaken for the for guns during shootings of civilians by police in the United States since 2001. And there's a list of 23 objects and they include like a wrench, a drill, a flashlight, a cane, hairbrush, sunglasses. And it just had the list and it didn't have any information. Uh, it was meant to just make you be like, oh my God, sunglasses, oh my God, 
a, a Bible, like this is horrible. And so of course, like you have that reaction, but I'm a sculptor and I'm, I'm a very material based person and I am a very process based person. And I um, really believe that objects carry stories, like all your objects, you know, like I'm, this is a necklace that was my grandmother's. I only wear it because it was my grandmother's, you know, it has a lot of meaning to me. I wouldn't wear it if I found it at a store or whatever. So these objects suddenly carry this story that's so powerful, but the story is not being told. So I felt really compelled to slow down. And I started by wanting to unpack these stories and wanting to make visual these objects. So I started to carve the objects in wood in my studio. And, um, and that's how it started. And then <clears throat> quickly it was like, wow, this is, this is really entraining a lot of information on me, on my body and my psyche and my heart. And I, I want this to open a bigger conversation. And I think that touching materials, making something with your hands around this topic can open a bigger conversation. So we started to host workshops in clay and I would partner always with an activist. And it's also always been really important for me that I speak from my perspective <clears throat> Um, and that I'm working with people who have different lived perspectives and live, different lived experiences and that we are, we're having a cross-racial conversation and also an intersectional conversation around gender, age, class, ability. Like there's a lot of different ways this conversation can become very um, complex. Anyway, so then we started the workshops and then we've done many workshops and I met Amir at a workshop like five, four, years ago with Students Deserve um, and my colleague Eka, and it's birthed a lot of amazing collaborations between me and Amir, and I'm so grateful to know him and the work he does in the world. It feels like he's like a hero that I want to bow to all the time. <laughs> um, but that's that's the origin story. And then from there, we I began to gather people for the book, including Amir, who contributed to the book. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I also like really enjoyed how you talked about um, you guys getting really like different perspectives of different people. I think that's really important when you're um, working with different people to understand their story and understand why they do what they do. So um, I know there's hardships when creating stuff or producing things. So we wanted to ask um, what was like one of the hardest things or like a part of um, creating This Is Not A Gun? Well, I wonder, Amir, if you have any reflections about that from your time with the project. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, choosing, I remember <laughs> the first, you know, that email you sent, Carl, with like the list of items and, you know, just, and then sitting with the fact that, you know, people lost their lives over these items and um, which person can, can you honor? And, you know, I chose a piece that was held by a young person um, who had a Nintendo Wii remote mm -hmm. and, yeah, I never, even to this day, I never see every time I hold a Nintendo Wii remote or any video game remote for that matter, you know, the, the project has impacted me in a way that like I think about Christopher. Um, so I think that's a side of this work that people don't talk about, right? The mm. There's a morning, there's a every, you know, so those are memories that will be there. And, but yeah, I think that was probably the most difficult. And then for me, the, the story that I shared, um, Mm. also required me to just you know dig back a bit and dig into memories and that's always 
at first difficult, but at the end, it's it's healing, right? It's 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 like a process you have to go through to to go through it. So that was it was difficult, but well worth it. I so appreciate that. I think what you're speaking to is a vulnerability on the part of the participants and the collaborators in this project, yourself included, that you shared something really personal that that created a vulnerability and also like an openness and a willingness to open yourself to the, the trauma, even as, you know, someone who has, like we're all living with different levels of our own trauma. And so to open yourself to the trauma related to these objects is another big act and big ask. And, and it's true, like in the workshops, we really do try to hold space for the pain, the trauma, the grief that comes up and it's interesting because it is a difficult part and it's also where it's like where the work is happening it's where the healing begins to happen it's where the kinship amongst people begins to happen it's where the compassion grows i am currently collaborating a lot with angela hennessy who she and i have co-run a number of workshops together already, but we're, we're designing new elements for This Is Not A Gun, but she's a, um, she does a lot of work about death and dying and grief and holding space for grief in her own practice. She's also a gunshot survivor. And she has a capacity that I really appreciate in our workshops where she can really hold space for so many experiences that come up for the participants and it makes it a very loving environment. So it's difficult, but it's also like, that's where the growth happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I participated in the Students Demand Action Workshop with you and Amir, I, when drawing out the objects and afterwards and looking at them, I was like, oh man. Mm -hmm. And like really just like reflecting on how someone was shot for this in by a police officer. I was like, wait, wait, wait. The reflection really did happen, I think that workshop was amazing like from then from there on it really impacted the way i look at certain objects and the story behind it so thank you um i know approaching these things aren't really easy they're not easy at all and it's something that does need to be um talked about and i know like during the creation of these things you kind of like unveil these thoughts that you never even knew you had so I kind of wanted to know how this, the creation of This Is Not A Gun, how it impacted you both um, on a daily basis and how you think about gun violence now. Do you want to respond to that? I mean, I'm happy to, but. Sure, I'll start. Um, yeah, I mean, it like the, some of the stories you shared, it really put things in perspective and shows like just how common it is and you know, I remember I have lots of encounters with law enforcement. Um, none of them have been deadly and not many of them have been, uh, have led to force, but lots of people just don't have that opportunity, right? And um, just knowing that I think that this kind of helped me. And I think one of the ways I benefited best was by reading some of the other authors and hearing their perspectives on it. Um, and Carl did such a great job of getting like a, a really diverse group of people from all walks of life, whether it's, um, you know, a Catholic priests or different poets and, um, 
their perspective and their take on it just shows, you know, how, you know, in our humanity, we, um, you know, we all have different perspectives and different things, but there are certain universal things that we can all agree on shouldn't be happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things I'm really grateful for this book for just showing that diverse group of people to elevate that and to show it from different perspectives because all, all the different authors, um, you know, all 40 of them took different perspectives and how and approaches how they went into their art. Um, so it just really just takes you, it's like watching a movie from so many different angles and it really just painted a really pure, um, vivid picture. Yeah, thank you. I think this project has affected the way that I understand gun violence in so many different ways. Like, I really wasn't involved in gun violence act activism directly. I was involved in solidarity with my community. I was involved in marching. I was involved in, you know, whatever, like, <laughs> just like sort of being, I just didn't, I hadn't ever honed in on gun violence, like, like, kind of like Amir was saying, like some people, you know, generally we can agree, like some things are, everybody agrees shouldn't be happening. <laughs> That's maybe where I was. Um, and in this project, I've had this profound opportunity to witness how many people's lives are touched by gun violence, how prolific it is, that gun violence is really everywhere. It is with police, but it's not only with police, um, it's within families, it's within communities, um, youth, um, terrorism. I mean, it's like gun violence is really powerfully disruptive and detrimental, deadly kind of disease in our society. Um, and it's so much worse in the United States than so many other places in the world. And so that has been, I think, one of the biggest takeaways for me in the people that I've been able to work with, like working with Moms Demand Action it was very impactful for me, you know, working with Students Demand Action, working with Homeboy. Um, I've known Father Greg from Homeboy for 20 years, but now I really know some of the participants of Homeboy and their experiences. And every time we have a workshop, there's somebody there who has a direct experience with gun violence. It's very, very common. And it's very, very scary, and it and and it's a real illness in our society. And and I I don't think that I understood the, the depth of that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you both for sharing. One thing I've I think we've all found when working through this podcast, we came into like we're gonna talk about gun violence, but it wasn't really to the impact that we thought we were gonna uncover. We just did an episode with the Brown Beret member, and hearing how much it has impacted his community. And even like at a family level, it was really like, oh man, like we, it didn't really come to mind that how impacting it was just beyond police officers or, you know, like beyond um, certain gangs in your community. It's really, it's everywhere. And the epidemic to where it's at, it's like, this isn't okay. Why hasn't something been done about it? So thank you. Yeah, I agree. And that's when um, our perspectives came in. We wanted to have every different type of people come in in the podcast and just really be open about their perspectives because how you said earlier like it's really important to understand others and you know like hearing um this member of the brand berets we actually like opened up a new a new chapter we we're like what like this is really occurring you know it's really impacting so this made us even want um to promote more change to act 
you know, like talk about more change, how help others with all of these things going on. Yes, and definitely incorporating the idea. Thank you, Amir, and thank you, Kara, for saying that. Like, hey, it's just it's happening everywhere, and you guys saying that it's something that we all need to touch bases on is so true. Because to really captivate somebody, you need to share some type of sympathy and empathy to kind of show them, hey, we like all have these similarities, but here's the main problem. If we all have the same well, if we all have same thoughts on this problem and if we're all trying to fight it, then there's something that is definitely wrong. Absolutely. But through the, the writing process, um, writing my piece for This Is Not A Gun, I realized some of the impacts of gun violence and the origins of some of it and created like a theory about it in my community because in, in my piece I share, you know, the first time a gun was ever pointed at my face, it was a police officer. Um, you know, and I was 11 years old and your, your childhood is gone after that. <laughs> you know, your innocence is gone. And I talk about how sometimes in our communities, the, the harms we reproduce on each other are what come to us, right? So we know um, gun violence, a lot of the victims are black and brown, especially men. And there's definitely an overlap with, overlap with like just toxic masculinity and, and the inability to resolve conflict in a peaceful manner and in a nonviolent manner. But in my piece, you know, I wrote, wrote in writing about it and reflecting about it, you know, that first time, the first few times a gun was ever pointed at my face was police officers. And I'm sure I'm not the only, you know, person who had that experience. So when you decide to, whether or not, I, I remember actually deciding whether or not to get a gun several times because, you know, um, America is a very violent place. and. You know, I've had death threats as a civil rights lawyer. I had death threats as a young black man. And um, it was always framed and colored through the experience that I had already seen, you know, and just the the, the willingness, I, I think, because that, that police officers are our government, they're state officials that go around traumatizing people with guns that um, make them more likely to, makes us more desensitized to guns, I think, is um, a lot of people, a lot of children, I was one of those children who are, your first interaction with a gun is with police. And, and we that's something we really need to stop. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, yes, and that's such a poignant part of your piece. Yeah, I, I'm just moved by your reflection that that's when your childhood is not, not ever gonna be the same. And you're, you're no longer really, your innocence is lost in that moment. I hear you. Yeah, it's kind of hard connecting the dots and definitely that takes a lot of courage to verbalize and well, it's another instance and as we keep adding up those instances, our eyes like start to open more and it's just, it opens like a whole nother can of worms and then we're all able to touch bases on these problems and yeah, thank you so much. Yes, leading into the next question, um, we want to ask what form of activism seems to take immediate, immediate effect or is most influential during these movements? Uh, I mean, I can, I'll, I'll start my reaction, my response. I think, oh man, there are so many forms of activism. I'm like kind of a slow mover, I think. I get very wary of just people being reactionary and activism that's prompted by like just 
reaction, which is a lot of our impulse, right? We want to like be reactionary. Um, but I, I tend to be like a slow, like things that have affected me tend to have kind of like a slow and deep, like, and long <laughs> impact that, that doesn't, and, and, um, so for me, I have two big practices in my life. One of them is as an artist and the other one is as a meditator. And both of those things are kind of like highly disciplined and lifelong commitments for me. And so for me, the, the act of um, art making has the potential to create like, I really do believe, and I don't know if this happens to everybody, but this is why, why I've arrived here with these, this work, because I have this belief and it's been in my experience that the making of art has the potential to create sustaining um, transformational change in, in somebody. And that can even be from the viewer. Like you can witness art, you can listen to a song, you can read a book, you can go to a museum and you can, you can witness something and it can have a transformational change because of what the artist put into that. Like I, I often believe that it, it's like the work is completed by the viewer. And so that's my, my deepest belief. And then the work of meditation for me does really similar work. Like it's, um, it's from the, the ground up, you go underneath all the reactions and intellectualizing and it's about base humanity and it's about it's a practice to cultivate compassion and um truth so for me those are the things that are the most impactful but they're often slow <laughs> so th that's like a take it or leave it situation like i i tell my students often that i'm on the 85 year plan like i'm not I'm not trying to like do the next big thing. I'm not trying to like, I don't even know, like make a cool poster or something. I'm like on a long, slow path, um, but it's a path that, that I think has, a, has some really deep change potential. But yeah, I guess, so I don't have an answer for like what's good for everybody. I have an answer about what, what's been impactful for me and, and, and why I do the work that I do. Thanks for sharing that. And that's very aspirational. I look up to you just as much as you said you look up to me because both art and meditation, right? Those are lifelong practices and every day's growth. So yeah, I think many forms of activism can be impactful. Um, we're both artivists. So, you know, intersecting art with activism, you know, as this is not a gun, that's a really great artivist project. And think, you know, as is described, like the, the, the process from the, the person's perspective, the, the art consumer, I guess you would say, or a person taking in the art, um, you know, it requires them to go through a thought process that's reflective. And, you know, I think about myself as a civil rights lawyer, I always say, if I didn't listen to public enemy fight the power growing up, you know, I probably wouldn't be a civil rights lawyer, right? So that that's a form of art creating activism. And, you know, like you all with your podcast, this is like a multimedia art, that is going to activate and inspire people. So um, artivism allows us to reach audiences, you know, and reach souls and, and, you know, just pull on the heartstring more because sometimes just talking about it, 
even at a protest, just speaking directly, you know, might not everyone will hear that. So, um, you know, in different forms of direct action, going directly to the public officials, you know, going to their, if you got to go to their house, <laughs> go to their house. But, um, you know, we were just at City Hall last Friday. We've been at City Hall monthly through our Freedom Fridays movement, just making our voices heard to continue to show, you know, reclaim those public spaces um, and let them know, you know. So I think there, there are lots of direct action ways to, to make an impact. Yeah, I want to really need to put that first Friday as a as a recurring alert on my calendar because I really want to show up and I keep forgetting and then it's like I see the pictures I'm like ah it just happened I missed it again uh, so I'm gonna do that after this phone call but um, I just really appreciate what you're saying about the multifaceted approach and I think that's like so true like we need all these hands on deck and we don't know what's gonna land on who. And, and when I say like I was raised by a family of activists, like no one in my family is an artist. And, but, but I was raised by people who believe in policy, really particularly uh, making policy that can change the lives uh, of, of people. So it's still kind of behind the scenes in a certain way, but advocates, um, advocates on like a societal level. Um, and I have a twin brother who is an activist, he's mostly, I mean, he works, his passion is really around environment, but that also intersects so much with, with race and class um, and privilege. And his work is so like in the weeds, it's like, like being an ACLU lawyer, it's like you gotta get in the paperwork and you gotta get in the policy and you gotta push and you gotta call and you gotta, we need all these different types, you know? You should strengthen the muscle that, that that you care about, you know, that works for you, um, I think, because that's, you'll have the biggest impact if you really like constantly massaging and strengthening that muscle. Yeah, definitely. What we're finding through this podcast is more and more people are being aware of gun violence within our communities. Um, going back to what Mir said about desens how a lot of us are desens desensitized to gun violence, it's happening a lot in our especially in Highland Park where Julie and I go to school, there's so much gun violence there and people are like, well, it's a normal day. So that's just, you know, this is just what happens here, but it shouldn't be. And through this podcast, we're, we're, and through this podcast, a lot of people are finding out of school is that, oh man, this is a normal, <laughs> like this doesn't happen in other places as much as it does here. And why? And I, a couple people have reached out to me like, like it really shed a light on what's happening in Highland Park and other places as well. And I think that's, and just like this is on the gun and what Amir, Amir, what you do with ACLU, it's amazing because it's hitting all these different people. And even though you may not know it, it's it's hitting them and it's, it's creating like a kind of uh, a wave effect. Yeah, I agree. And I also wanted to add that um, we also touched bases on one of our episodes is, is like regarding a like um, schools and school shootings and all of that. And I feel like that's one place that opened up. People were like, what? Like, I didn't know that occurred in schools. Like you guys were doing drills, like all of this. I didn't know that. And um, yeah, I think it's really important to touch bases everywhere, not just in one certain place. Cause people are like, what, that happens there too. And yeah, we just want to open that perspective up. Be like, you know, like we need to make change. This is occurring everywhere, not just in one specific place. And we're definitely being conditioned as we go because of our, of our current instances. There has been, I 
I think it's the highest um, gun violence has been in homicide rates. And well, it's nothing that I find um, surprising. It's nothing that I find surprising that it's in um, predominantly black and brown communities. But I kind of, I just taken it like as a blessing and a curse because there's so much to say on this podcast. And there's so many instances that we've encountered, but we're just kind of like, we can't be ignorant to this, but we have to fight back. We have the, we have the strength to fight back and that's our blessing. But our curse is that we are being desensitized to these situations where like, oh, okay, that's something normal. So sometimes we do dismiss these things, but overall our, the immediate effect that it's had on us is that we need to fight back and we need to talk about this. I know you guys were talking about workshops and I know that getting like those different perspectives, you have different emotions poured into the workshop. So I kind of wanted to know like, what was the most memorable, memorable moment that you guys have encountered or what was something that like really touched you and like really stuck with you and like kind of affects the way you move today? Sure, I can start with that. So I've, you know, I think the workshop that we did with you all with Students Demand Action, I didn't think that this is not a gun. Was, I didn't know we could do that uh, virtually. So I think that in itself was art and in the process of creating that. And um, just hearing from you all, you know, because that's what makes it practical, right? Like having an organization of young people that are demanding an end to gun violence and with this project. Um, and then things like this come after that, right? So I think that that shows the impact, but that workshop specifically, um, you know, just being creative enough to not accept barriers and create something that could still deliver, you know, um, was very impactful. Yeah, I totally second that. Um, and yeah, just to be able to work with somebody to translate this work into a virtual realm was really gratifying. And also to know that it, it trans like that it translated was, was really important. But to that token, like to that the other side of that coin, the, the moment that I thought of immediately was also from this year with Amir, <laughs> which was our first hands-on workshop uh, post-pandemic. We had a, a really big workshop, probably the biggest workshop we've had was the last, this weekend, 2020, right before the shutdown. It was part of the Four Freedoms Congress. It was at the Mocha Geffen. And, it was really cool and it was like all these artivists and like, you know, kind of big shot people in the art world and they were like down and into it and like people with great stories and really talented and it was cool, it was really cool. And then we shut down for like, you know, nine months or whatever. And then Amir is just like nonstop working, 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 making stuff happen, art, 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 like go, go, go. And like integrating art and activism and just like at this level that I'm just like, dude, I'm, pandemic is crushing me, you know? And he's like, we got this. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so he invited us to do a This Is Not A Gun in person for Freedom Fridays in October, I think it was October. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, let's, let's see how this goes. And we had done the virtual one already and it went well and we were proud of that. I was proud of that. But for me, 
I was like elated. I was like blissed out on the steps there because touch, <laughs> like the simple thing of touch, we were touching clay again. And I know it's like, well, I don't know what it sounds like to you guys, but I'm an artist and I'm a materials person. I said that already, but clay is my first material. I was like, I met clay when I was a teenager and I fell in love and it changed my life. And, and I just have this belief and I have witnessed this through the four years of this project that when people touch clay, it's touching dirt and water. And it is so fundamental to our humanness, our nature, that you unwind and open up and something kind of like dun, 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 drops down. And it, also it's fun, which is really important to this project. It's not hard, intense, painful work. It's fun, it's fun, it's uplifting. And so what happened on those steps was so beautiful to me. It was like, it was like, we came out and we got to touch clay and we got to do this together. We had masks on, we were outside, it was safe, it was fine. But it just reminded me of the value of touch and of material and like what, it's like subtle, but it is a big difference. Um, that was like so exciting. And that, and that was to your question, like that was very affirming to me that like um, there's something magical in this, in this formula around the importance of materials and the importance of the basicness of this material. Anybody can do it. You don't have to know a thing about art. You just have to have a couple of hands. And um, so, yeah, that was that was that was impactful and it was recent. And I think it also the power of it came from it emerging from the pandemic, you know, and also this year of so many uprising, like uprisings of social movements and. It just felt like I was really grateful to be there and, and that it, it was it, it was grounding and joyful and powerful for me to remember. Thanks again for that opportunity. Also, I love working with, with you young, young younger activists who are like, you guys are so organized, honestly. <laughs> you're like way more organized than a lot of people out here and you're driven and you're leaders and you're clear and um and you're great artists and it's just super inspiring i'm like really really inspired by you agree like i, I just have to share like i turned down a few pot or just interviews and podcasts and different things i did not want to turn down this one because the work you all are doing is so inspiring so important and we know you know young people are dying a lot too too often to gun violence so to see this really just motivates and inspires us to keep the work going so please keep it going and, and because you all are going to change, you know, we're, we're I'm not giving up on my generation <laughs> yet, but you all have a lot more hope with, you know, this is one of the most important movements now because of your generation. So we just really I'm, I'm looking forward to following you all. Yeah, thank you both. So as you guys said, our generations are growing and, you know, um, the youth is taking into consideration what's really going on in the world. So um, they are impacted and aware. And as our closing question, we wanted to ask you guys, so what advice would you guys give to young activists wanting to make change? Like us, basically. Oh, let me start that one. I think um, it could get you in trouble, you know, might get you in good trouble, you know, so you might get arrested at a protest or something like that. But I think your generation is really bold and like 
for example, with, with, you know, gun violence, like you have to take on the NRA, right? And they're this big, scary lobby group that literally is just like defeating everyone and will go low. But your generation, I think, has been very confrontational with them and, and willing. Um, and you, that's the kind of thing, you know, attitude you need, right? I think for, for you specifically, I would say combat what's called adultism, which is another ism like racism, you know, ableism, sexism. Um, but adultism is when adults, you know, violate the rights and dignity of youth by telling them what they think is right for them instead of listening to the youth. So, you know, many of you might not be able to vote yet or anything like that, but you still have power. Um, the laws and everything still impact you. Violence still impacts you. So you, with that, you have a right to speak up. So I would say claim that power and don't let adults tell you otherwise. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I so agree. Like you have so much wisdom and so much knowledge and so much clarity, like believe in that. The other thing I would say, which I think probably Amir has encountered this, I've encountered this, and I've, I've, you've probably heard this to some extent, but like, and I said before, like this is a long-term plan, right? Like we want change now. Okay, we want change now. Yes. And you want to be there when the change is coming. So how do you work to cultivate internal support practices that can help prevent you from burning out? Um, this is so hard. This is so hard. Okay. <laughs> it sounds easy. You're like, oh, I got to do yoga class or whatever. No, no. This is really hard because you're facing stuff about gun violence. This is, these are, this is people's lives. You aren't numb to this. You are feeling the impact of this. And that impact, you want to feel it because that impact motivates you to make change, right? So it's like a double-edged knife or whatever, where you feel the pain of it and you want to make the change, but to make the change, you have to keep feeling the pain of it. So my advice to you is to not lose yourself, like to try not to forget yourself in this, to remember to take care of each other, to take care of yourself, to eat, to sleep, um, to set boundaries. Amir is also like a great example, like he's always working so hard and I find that his ability to communicate clear boundaries is like really strong. I'm really, I, I, I'm, I'm really working on that. It's really hard for me. Um, and it will that those practices those techniques of taking care of yourself first will help you to be able to take care of others i know that's a thing people say but it's true and also to that end i'm just going to plug this book i'm listening to reading and working on right now um, which is a, a meditation there's a really great meditation teacher i'll put it in the chat his name is llama rod owens if anybody's heard of him and he has a new book and it's called love and rage and uh, he's a queer black man and um he's a deeply wise practitioner and teacher and he talks about anger as his path to liberation and um it's really amazing it's like really really amazing around the, the depth of work he's done to understand anger his anger and to and he comes from an activist background so uh anyway that's work i'm trying to do for myself and that's my advice to use don't forget yourself don't forget to love yourself 
because you want to be in it for the long haul. You want to see these changes happen. You don't want to burn out, change your mind and like go live in the suburbs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, thank you for that advice. Definitely. Um, with burnout, we were just talking about like, guys, we need to take a break. <laughs> like we need to take a break, like a quick break from the podcast. And, you know, thank you, Amir, for talking about adultism. And, you know, you know, even though kid gets in trouble, they keep doing it. <laughs> because an adultism, like, that's a serious thing. And I'm so excited for when our generation can go into, like, Congress or can really start um, making, like, bigger changes because I can't wait to see all the changes that are going to happen soon. So much for listening, everyone. This is Three Homegirls No Gun. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at 3 Home Girls No Gun to keep up with all of our episodes. Thank you so much and have a good day.